You can kick your fancy ales, you can take them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. I'm your host, Matt, and we have here with me today a reunion, an old school <laughs> reunion. We've got Tiernan. Hello. And we have Travis. Hello. And you might remember us three from, I think, the first one that we released? Just was there too, but more importantly, the very first no line and mustering an army. Yeah. So we've done some recording together before, and hopefully this episode will turn out all right. Hopefully. Especially because we have a brand new segment for you here, listeners. We're doing... Keep it secret. Keep it secret. Keep it safe. Yeah. We'll be talking in these segments a little bit uh, more in depth about certain parts of the tactics within the game. And we're not keeping it secret. No, we're not. That's, that's, that's ironic. Joke, I think. <laughs> yeah, I felt like I had to explain it to everyone. So we're talking today about the special strikes. So those are the strikes that you make with hand weapons and with two-handed weapons. And there are five kinds. So I'm just going to throw it over to Trav to walk us through the first one, which is Bash. Bash. Okay, Bash is a useful tool uh, that allows you to knock down your opponent in a combat. So instead of striking normally, uh, you can elect to Bash. So what you do is you both players roll a dice and add their respective model strengths. If the bashing model's uh, roll is equal to or higher than the opposing model's roll, then they are knocked down to the ground. So useful, uh, especially if you're fighting a cab, you can knock them off their horse. But then again, you could just wound the horse. But, yeah, that's an extra use for Grim Hammers. Yep. I think Bash is, is a useful tool. I think the one part of Bash that people don't realize is is it's non-lethal. So, in those odd times when you don't want to kill your opponent so like to stop them from breaking or getting the quarter to stop the game from ending, you can start bashing or stuff like that to do non-lethal damage. Oh, that is a next-level idea there, Trav. I hadn't thought about that one myself. Yeah, that's what the Grim Hammer and Dwarf Shield Army does. They all shield or they bash so that they can't kill them. Yeah, very nice. <laughs> Tiernan, in what situation, apart from the one that Trav just mentioned, do you think you might bash? One situation where I've used it is if I've got a couple of guys fighting another guy but I haven't got them trapped, to knock them down so I get double strikes. Very good, very good. Yeah. I can recall a time when I should have bashed, but I didn't, and I was informed I, I might have been playing against you, Travis. Probably. That yeah. sounds like the thing I would say. Yeah, that does, doesn't it? So uh, I think in this game I had Dwalin, and of course he has his hammer, and I was fighting against at least one fell beast, mm. and I should have bashed. Yeah. Thinking about it now, I elected not to. I elected to attempt to kill the mounted ringwraith outright, but couldn't quite do it. If I had bashed, it should have been fairly simple. It's automatically two-handed, so I would have had the plus one. That's something else we have to talk about, by the yeah. way. So when you use a two-handed weapon and you are bashing, you do get a plus one on that roll against your opponent to see if you were the one who knocks them down. Yep. So is that in, a, in an FAQ? No, that's no, it's in the rule. into the bash rules. Oh, okay, right. Yep. Yeah. So that's quite useful, especially with Dwalin. That's probably the prime example of when to bash is when you're up against a fell beast or a mounted monstrous cab model, knock the guy off it, put him on the ground, they lose the fell beast immediately. That's probably the best 
situation you would ever use it. There's a couple of others I can think of as well. Maybe against the uh, good old Goblin King because it's such a pain in the ass to wound. Especially if you've got someone with Glamdering, Orcrist or Sting in there so they get the double strikes. Or if, even if, if you don't wait, have them Even if you're waiting for those characters to rock up or get to the combat with the Goblin King, sometimes the Goblin King can be a bit of a pain. So putting him on the ground, one, forgoes him a turn of striking at you. And two, you might chip some wounds off with the other guys, but you're likely not to wound with your strikes anyway, so why wouldn't you just bash and try to put some crowd control down on him? Yeah, great point. On the same token, you might want to bash someone if you know you're likely to be charging in the next turn. So, for instance, you're the only one with might left and they don't have any. Knocks them down and you can get a lot more strikes perhaps in the next turn. Moment of sheer brilliance here. I just thought of another reason why you might bash. Sigh. Go ahead. Water features. Ah, yeah. Huh. <laughs> if you are knocked down in shallow water, you have to take a swim check. There's a little option if you happen to have a hammer and you're fighting in a shallow piece of water and you're fighting a dwarf with a shield and heavy armor. Might be better off to bash him down to the shallow water and make him take a swim check at minus three than it would be to strike Is it just, him normally. Would the strike be still be called bash, though? Wouldn't it just be holding the dwarf under the water? <laughs> New special strike, drown. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I used that against Mason in a tournament recently with the ring race. I charged the dwarves in the water just for the whole purpose of knocking him down in the water. So I guess the same principle applies with the bash. Is that, that, makes, down uh, in the water. that makes Nietzsche's Wrath and Wrath of Bruin much better as well. Aside from the fact that Wrath of Bruin hits you for strength 8 in water. That's beside the point. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about the knockdown. If you survive the strength eight, I'll be impressed. It's one in three will survive it, yeah. assuming That's they're defense six or less. I was more looking at the ring ray copping a wound on a four. Anyway, shall we continue? Yeah. <laughs> we we shall. That so, was bash. Uh, that was bash, and I believe bash can be performed by hammers and... Malls. Malls, yes. Maces, I guess, Maces, well. malls, yeah, that sort of thing. One, actually, one other thing I just realized we forgot to mention is you have to declare you're going to bash before you roll the jewel roll. That's right. So just remember that all special strikes need to be declared before you duel. Yep. Are there many models of riff hammers? I know Dwalin, obviously. Take your pick at, like, basic orcs have them. Yeah, basic orcs no, I, I'm, have, I'm, like, these I'm thinking, thinking more heroes. Oh, heroes. Ooh. Because some Thrain? basic orcs... Thrain? Is it Thrain or Thrall? No, it's Thrain. Thrain, Thrain has, has a hammer. Thrain yep. has a hammer. A bomber oh, has yeah. a thing, doesn't he? Nori has one. Yep. Nori's is a mace. A bunch of the new stuff, which I'm not as familiar with as I should be. And some of the old stuff. As well, we'll have it simply yeah, because not many, not many, but they're there. I think some of the fine cast thorns company is going to have some, the armored versions. Yes. Yep. So we'll move on to the next special strike, and yep. Tian and you can walk us through this one. This is oh, lovely. Yeah, faint. Right, faint is probably the most often used one. Again, you have to declare it before you roll the dual roll. You lose D three of your fight value, but you get to re-roll ones to wound. So pretty helpful. And yes, that does mean that if you've got multiple people in the combat, all but one of them can faint and you still have the higher fight value. Because yeah. regardless of positives and negatives, you always use the highest. Yeah, so this I... action is performed by swords and daggers. Yeah, and I think yeah. this is the most commonly used one simply because it rewards you the easiest, but you get the best payoff out of it. And you... lots of people have swords. Yeah, yeah, I think that's part of it as well. Yeah, probably the part of that as well, but I like the... F- faint is my favorite simply because... Ones can be an absolute bugger on heroes and stuff. The amount of times I've rolled ones with heroes. Yeah, for sure. So suddenly. The number of times I've rolled twos of heroes. (laughs) 
So suddenly, if you're wounding an enemy model on fours or something with one of your heroes, and if you faint, you were re-rolling the ones, that's near guarantee. You're getting yeah, very oh, close to guaranteeing kills. I wouldn't say guaranteeing kills, but increases your chances slightly. I think greatly. Four plus to wound, I think greatly increases. Well, I'm too tired to do the actual math, but... <laughs> Yeah, I can do that later if you like. Yeah, sure. I, think, I think the whole idea with Faint is you use it in multiple combats. That's what it's there to do. It's there to speed the game up as well. Yeah, multiple we went, combats in your favor. Yeah, when we went from the, the Lord of the Rings rules to the Hobbit rules, that was one of the big changes we noticed was being able to wound stuff got easier. Yep. And Faint was one of the big ones because rerolling ones, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it can help quite a bit, especially if you say going two-handed weapon fainting. It really boosts your odds, like a lot, because you, you're cashing in that bad roll of the one, and then you get a second crack at it. On that as well, Elven Blades—they get to faint as well, and I think that made the Elf armies incredibly powerful. The fact that before you could take Elven Blades and bows, the fact that the Elven Blade can now faint gives you the three plus to win the tied roll. So sometimes you'll faint to equal fight value and not care that much, but you get to re-roll the ones and. The fact that your main source of damage with a high elf army, for instance, is the two-handed weapon elves, and being able to re-roll the ones off that just just gives that that little bit of extra oomph they need when they go in. Yeah, the counterpoint to that is the fact that since elves have such a high fight value anyway, most enemies will be fainting against them, and the elves will be killed a little bit easier as well. You faint right back. Yeah, if they, if they faint, then yeah. usually it's pretty safe for yep. elves to faint as well. Yeah, so, yeah. so you hear but, that, listeners, if someone faints at you, you faint at them right back. <laughs> and no one not, actually strikes. Not all, the time, not all the time, though. But I have on occasion seen Elrond go, or Glorfindel even go, okay, even if I lose the full three, I'll be at equal five value and still have the other play. I've seen them go into it, enemy characters yeah, and yeah. faint and go, I don't care. Whatever's so bra. <laughs> it is a very useful tool. Actually, another one I just realized, on that last appliance sort of theme, Alendil loves faint. Yep. Go on a fight three models, not care, and gets to reroll ones because he gets horror combats every turn. The bane of a Lendl is ones on the user to wound roll. Yep, for sure. That's faint. I think we pretty much covered that there. Yep. Uh, we'll move on to number three, which is piercing strike. So, piercing strike is performed by picks and axes, I believe. What it does is adds d3 to your strength if you win the fight, but you lose d3 to your defense if you lose the fight. Again, you must declare this before you start the combat. And I think this is another one, along with Faint, that has probably seen the most use. Simply I, because... I think this has seen the most controversy, because I remember when people first read it and said, my god, this is so incredibly overpowered, why would you ever not... Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, very true. Yeah. So a lot of armies that have low defense to begin with looked at it and went, this is win-win. Hobbits. Hobbits, wood elves, even wozers, maybe... <laughs> Corsairs. There's a lot of armies that benefit greatly from and this rule. Especially since the old Lord of the Rings armies, their hand weapons aren't specified, so you can technically give them any weapon you like. That's right. The one I've always had a bit of a love-hate relationship to Piercing Strike. I don't see it as something that you use every combat. The way I see Piercing Strike is a coup de grace. It's like a two-handed weapon. You go in when you need to finish something. You go in when you got two-on-one against trapped against a or a three-on-one trapped against a, a high defense model. Like, you got three orcs against one dwarf warrior, one of them starts to pierce to, to get that kill. The problem I keep seeing is people always seem to forget about the lower of defense. The amount of times I have killed dwarves, and Matt, I think you can attest to this with your king's champion, 
because they have pierced down to a low enough value for me to kill them. Sometimes you just got to look at your army and go, when do I want to keep my defense? When is me holding the line and me keeping my models alive more important than dealing damage? Because a lot of the time, lowering your defense, yeah, you might get a chance at killing, but you still don't know the combat resolution. And it's the one thing that Cardinal Sin I see a lot with Castellans as well, seem to get a lot of converted picks. Even the Corsair Reavers with the two attacks at fight five. If you lose that combat, you're guaranteed to be dead, even on one on one. Not guaranteed. Sometimes I think the risk is just too much and it just it just messes with your whole your whole widespread army as a whole if you just pierce too much. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think uh you're mostly gonna be using it when you're already outnumbering your opponent. Yeah, uh, the, that's the, the main use. Uh, I think the only uh, situation where that wouldn't be the case is if a hero has an axe and you're calling heroic combat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's that's yeah, a really because, great use of it as well. Yeah, that makes it just a that little bit easier. Mm. Again, it makes it a lot worse if you do actually completely botch it. But... Yes, but you're calling a heroic combat, so you're kind of going, I'm going to win this combat anyway. Or even when you're up against a hero who is calling a heroic combat, no, don't pierce against them and you... Like, no, even of course, if you're yeah. a hero, don't pierce against anything. Just making or, the job yeah. easier. Uh, yeah. At least compare the strength uh, values to your defense. If your defense is low enough that they're already wounding you on threes, then go ahead. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. But one thing I'm going to point out, and I've seen this a lot in the Goblin Town scenarios as well, when players pierce with the goblins, and they don't realize that going from defense three to defense two with goblin warriors against the Thorns company, is that's a big deal. Going from force to wound to threes to wound, you don't think it's like in your head you're like, oh, they're pretty much always going to roll a four. The amount of times I've seen people fail to roll a four plus to kill in like a one-on-one combat is ridiculous. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I can attest to that. Defense three is the bane of my existence. Just because your defense four don't think or defense three don't think that going down to two is not going to make a deal because it will make a big deal, especially. If you're trying to keep a line or keep someone bottleneck in an area, don't sac- needlessly sacrifice. And I think that's the biggest thing to take away from piercing strike is only use it when there is no chance of that lowering of defense to come back and bite you on the ass. As I said, use it as a killing blow move, not as a I'm going to win the meat grind move. I think you would use it in similar times that you would use a two-handed weapon. Mm. And speaking of which, two-handed weapons and axes go quite well together. Yeah. Yep. Hand in hand. Uh, I agree. Some of the Yeah, best. one in each hand. <laughs> I love sprinkling, you know, four or five piercing strike two-handed weapons in my orc army simply because going in minimum strength four just beats down on some things. Yeah. You can get to effective strength of seven with some of them, even though. Yep, just to relate a uh, particularly relevant story, I've twice killed a Mumak with dwarves, and all thanks to Piercing Strike. I'll I'll put that right out there. Mm-hmm. Piercing Strike was the major change that allowed that to happen. However, what happened to your King's Champion, Matt? Oh, it's it's died a few times, but uh, generally, uh, it's not because of the Piercing Strike. Are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure Imrahil managed to kill your ki- King's Champion because he went down from Defense 9 to Defense 6, and Imrahil did four wounds. Uh, th- this isn't just a game they had, this is canon. <laughs> Yeah, that's sure. That's actually what happened. I, it's in I, the appendices somewhere. To be honest, I don't actually remember that one, but it wouldn't surprise me. Question. You, that was the... Yep, so nice. we'll move on to the fourth special strike, and Trav, you can walk us through Stun. Stun. Ah, how I love and hate thee. 
<laughs> stun is basically what you would call ye old school transfix. So what you do is if you declare it at the start of the start of the fight phase, if you win the combat, you stun instead of striking blows. It is a single roll. doesn't matter what your attack's value is. You roll one dice. On a four plus, the enemy model is stunned. And this is not modified by two-handed weapons, I believe. No, although it should be, I think. But that's a debate for another time. If you stun your opponent, your opponent is reduced to fight value one and a shoot value of six plus for the remainder of the next turn. I think it's one attack as well, is it? Yeah, and yeah. one attack. Yeah. So... You, if you walk up to, say, a cave troll, manage to win a lucky combat, and then you bonk him on the head with a club, he then goes from being a fight six, three attack model to a fight one, one attack model for the next turn. Yeah, my Isengard troll against an army of hobbits refused to do anything the entire game because of this one sheriff. <laughs> just just one. Yep. Beat him in combat, bonk him on the head. Beat him in combat, bonk him on the head. And that is the beauty of stun, is you can chain it together if you stun them one turn and you have enough models with the stun special rule like in combat or coming to bear on one model you can keep stunning them turn after turn after turn yeah after turn. but when you say chain it's i do not believe it works if you have multiple people stunning and you've stunned them multiple times it does not last over multiple turns no it lasts if you're stunned it's for the turn like for the yes. next for the next yeah, turn. i just wanted to make that clear because yeah. you said chaining and I meant more, yeah. you stun, next turn you stun again, next turn you stun again. Yeah, once yeah. you get that first stun, yeah. it makes it a lot easier to keep yeah. doing it every subsequent turn. So, which models would be best to use this particular rule? Models that struggle to bring down big stuff. Hobbit sheriffs. So, hobbits like it. I've actually found Gundabads love it as well. The Gundabad orcs and Moria goblins quite like them as well. The old stun, because... You go in with a goblin captain, you strike up, you get the first combat resolution against the monster or the scary hero, and then the goblins start banking, bonging him on the head, and then start going to town on him the next turn, and just grind them down, chip a couple of wounds off every turn whilst keeping him stunned. One thing I will mention though, stun doesn't affect movement. So if you do get stunned, don't be afraid to run away, because getting away for a turn might seem like a bad idea, but... It can save your life because it allows you to get rid of that stun CC and then go back in the next turn with all your stats back. So if you do get stunned, just walk it off and come back later. <laughs> walk it off. It'll be fine. Yeah. It'll be fine. We are down to our last special strike and Tiernan, talk us through Whirl. Okay. This is one I have never seen used or used myself. I believe you reduce yourself to fight value one. And if you win the combat, you make one strike against every enemy model in the combat, not including spearmen. Correct. And this is for whips, scourges, and... Flails. Flails. Yeah. So, yeah, what can we really say about this one? It seems very counterintuitive. Uh, yeah. It's very, very situational, I guess. I've heard people talk about giving it to trolls and then back them up with a high fight value spearmen. But the issue with that is, if you're backing up the model that is flailing, or whirling, sorry, it's reducing the effectiveness of the actual rule. Like, you haven't got that as many models against the model that is whirling. Mm. That's what I said in res response, yeah. but I, I have heard that argument. And if they're on a large base, like a Mordor troll, you can see it working? Yeah, sure. Whirl is one of those get-lucky sort of ones. Even when I've tried to make it work, and I've got a couple of... Urukai in my Urukai <coughs> army with flails, for whatever reason, it's my Mordor Urukai army. 
the best case scenario I ever got with a flail was spear supported, sorry, not spear supported, with a banner within three inches, going into two dwarves, whirling, and then knocking out both dwarves. And like that that's still pretty lucky. Yeah, I've got one dice with a reroll, but I'm still at lower fight against a high fight model. It's one of those things of you do as sort of it's probably dead anyway, I'll have a crack at it, sort of deals. So not exactly a winning strategy really. No, is it? I think it was I think if the fight value was halved instead of reduced to one, it might make things a bit more interesting. It doesn't affect your attack stats, so Stuff like a Witch King flailing, there is a possibility of you winning the combat, but uh, it's it's one of those. Yeah, it's. I'd probably say it's one of the weakest out of all the special strikes, simply because it's so. I'm just going to say situational. Yeah, it's the fact that. I mean, it'd be interesting if you could strike out of it. Heroic strike. Yeah, strike yeah. out of the fight one. That could be interesting. So you could, could just we... throw a hero straight oh, in. Oh, also, it does not work with two handed weapons. Does it? Or it It probably does. I, I think it would. It does? Yeah. So okay. each of the strikes would get yeah, a plus one. Because you inflict one strike on every model in base contact with you, enemy model, and two-handed weapon gives you a plus one to your roll to strike. So it would give you the plus one. So if you say you got the Witch King, he would be striking at strength four with the plus one to wound. But there's the issue. You're already fight one. Do you really want to have that negative modifier as well? And even models with like three attacks. Well, if you've got a shade as well, and they're at the negative one. Yeah. Yeah. It's one. It's one of those. <laughs> as I said, very, oh, very situational. Yeah. It's a long shot. At, it's, yeah. It's just. It's just one of those ones that it's a good idea. Just poor execution. Yeah. I've only seen it work once, and it was actually you that did it, Trav. Yeah. Do you remember this one? Was this the two dwarf archers? Yeah. Yep. So one of Trav's mortal Urukai with a flail jumped into two dwarf archers. So this is the same one that Travis was talking about earlier yeah, with the banner. I thought it was one that was no. Way, no it was way was, out on the flank. Yeah. yeah. It was just two dwarf archers in isolation against a single mortal Urukai. Trav called the whirl, won the combat despite obviously lower fight and two against one, and managed to kill one of the dwarves. So effective whirl, I guess. So Trav is the whirl master. <laughs> uh, woot. <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, it's been great talking to you again. It's great mm. to get this team back together. Might have to do it again sometime. Sometime sooner than you think. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> All right. So, thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. <laughs> and that's another episode of the Green Dragon Podcast. Don't oh, wait. That's what we were doing? That's oh. what we were doing. <laughs> this whole time. Can I say it? Can I say it? Go ahead. I haven't said it in a Yeah, yeah, go ahead. And remember, folks, trap swing games. Except when they don't. We're going to edit that out. I don't care. I will say it every time until it's not edited out. And then I will say it more. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.